This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The Conservatives want to keep the focus on the SNC-Lavalin affair, and it's no surprise. They had their biggest spike in support when the scandal was at its height and then started to slip back as people began to forget, as people do. Meanwhile, the first polls taken after the Ethics Commissioner's report came out this morning, and they show it has not changed voters' intentions or hurt the Liberals' chances of re-election, at least not yet. Which makes you wonder if this is a good strategy. Now, I talked to PC leader Andrew Scheer about it just about an hour ago, and he insists it has nothing to do with the election. Why is it important to keep the SNC-Lavalin affair going? Well, it's important because we need to get the truth. This isn't about uh, partisan politics keeping something in the news. It's about getting to the bottom of the details of Trudeau's corruption scandal. Uh, What we know is that he broke the law. He interfered in a a criminal court case to try to get a special deal for uh, his friends at SNC-Lavalin. And Canadians are very concerned when they see powerful politicians doing that. We don't want to live in the kind of country where a prime minister can interfere in the course of justice. Uh, People flee from countries all over the world where that happens, and uh, conservatives are going to do everything we can to get the truth out so that ultimately Canadians can make the decision on October 21st. The report was very detailed. It was scathing. What makes you think that there's more? Well, uh, specifically because we know that there were at least nine witnesses who were prevented from testifying to the ethics commissioner. In his report, he, he details that he was not able to fully investigate this matter because Justin Trudeau blocked witnesses from testifying and refused to grant a full waiver. So there's still more to know. There are still details that are hidden here. Uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould herself and Jane Philpott, uh, the two MPs who were kicked out of the Liberal Party just for telling the truth, have also said that there's more to this story that needs to come out. So my question for Justin Trudeau is, what more could there possibly be? This is already damning enough for him and his government. Uh, What could he possibly be hiding? It must be pretty serious, and that's why we're going to continue to do everything we can. Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould also said that she did not think he was guilty of criminal wrongdoing. Are you saying you believe he is guilty of criminal wrongdoing? Well, it's important to remember that Ms. Wilson-Raybould said that before he came out with this new information. And in this report, uh, the commissioner says that there was an ongoing a scheme between the Prime Minister's office and SC Lavalin, who were the defendants in the case that the Attorney General did not know was happening. So when, on the one hand, you've got officials talking to the defendant and trying to come up with a strategy to get them off the hook, and then going to the Attorney General trying to get her to overturn a decision without her knowledge, that to me rises to the level of obstructing justice. And that is new information that was not known when Ms. Wilson-Raybould was first asked that question. And that's why I've referred it to the RCMP. So are you saying you believe he is guilty of a criminal offense? 
Well, we live in a country where that is determined by a court of law, not by a politician. I believe that there are enough here for a criminal investigation. Uh, that's why I've referred this to the uh, RCAP, and it will be up to them to take it from there. Uh, I, uh, I certainly believe that there's enough here to warrant this investigation. When you think about, uh, can you imagine the same scenario where uh, people were trying to get someone off the hook, so they were talking to the defendant and then go to the prosecutor, leaning on the prosecutor to drop the charges? Uh, that's exactly the nature of what we're talking about here. And I think in any other situation, uh, that would certainly warrant an investigation. And that's why we're pushing for one now. Uh, the first polls that were done after the ethics commissioner's report came out uh, were out this morning, and they show that the needle did not move. Were you surprised by that? Well, uh, look, uh, this is not about polling information. This is not about trying to uh, capitalize on a, a political way. This is trying... This Come is on, we're, we're heading into an election. No, no honestly, this is, this is about trying to do what's right and trying to get the truth. And the timing of this is all because of Justin Trudeau. This is not in any way uh, determined by the opposition. If Justin Trudeau had to come clean in the spring, uh, this all would have happened then. But the reason why this is coming out now, just before an election, is because he refused to cooperate. And it took the Ethics Commissioner's report uh, to get to some of these details to light. Uh, I'm confident that Canadians will hold Justin Trudeau responsible for abusing his position and breaking the law. And I'm not really going to be looking at daily polling or weekly polling. I'm going to be taking this message to Canadians. Why they should care about this issue is we do not want to live in the kind of country where elected officials can interfere in a court case to get their friends off the hook. That is a slippery slope that will take us to a very, very dark place if we don't do something about it right now. Do you think that by focusing on this, uh, it's taking away from the more positive aspects uh, of your platform? I know it's not all out yet, but but a lot of Canadians just don't really know you yet. Well, we've certainly been laying out our positive message for some time now, and that is resonating. Uh, when I talk to Canadians, they say their biggest issue is the fact that life is getting more expensive and they're finding it harder to get ahead. And so they're going to get ahead under a conservative government. So just yesterday, I announced a measure to help new parents by making maternity maternity leave benefits tax-free. Uh, we've announced our plans to help make our community safer by getting tough on criminals and repeat offenders and gang members. So we are able to do both. We're able to uh, hold Justin Trudeau accountable for his corruption and scandals, uh, while at the same time putting forward our plan for what we would do to help Canadians get ahead. Okay. Andrew Shear, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, well, what did you make of that? He says it has absolutely nothing to do with the election. And is it a good strategy? Uh, we have our next guest with us, but I'm, I'm going to take a quick call beforehand. Bob in Etobicoke, you've been uh, waiting patiently. Hey, Bob. Yeah, how are you? Fine. Um, I've, this, uh, this is a major problem. Now, Trudeau said jobs, jobs, jobs. It wasn't jobs he was trying to save, but the people who are really hurt by this whole scandal is pensioners. And like, for example, the Bank of Nova Scotia, um, my estimates, I did a calculation on it. They're down $70 million on the deal. There's $7 billion in market value been eroded by this, and there'll be more. So it, it is it's sad 
that it was done this way. What should have been done, the government should have walked in, took all the management, took them out, said, you guys are out of here as of this very minute, and put a management company in to straighten it away. And those who were involved in putting out scam money to individuals, I know some of that money that they put out bought resorts in Quebec and big speedboats and all that. I've heard all about that. But the point is, those who actually approved it should be charged, arrested, and have to pay something for it. But right now, it's the public is paying. Uh, so that's like right. The, it usually, the Bank of Nova Scotia is down seventy million. Royal Bank, I don't know how many million, but the point is that seven billion dollars in market value gone, plus the millions of billions of dollars that they have borrowed from the government that will probably never be paid bank, back because they're going to go out of business. Well, I don't know that they're going to go out of business. Bob, thanks for your call. Okay, but, but. Uh, interesting take. Uh, I, I wouldn't ask Bob if he's going to change his vote because uh, I don't think he would ever vote liberal. Uh, he's a frequent caller. But as we've been saying today, we are seeing those first polls taken after the ethics commissioner's report, and they show that it hasn't hurt the liberals. Uh, there was a Leger poll that says the two parties are tied, and there is also a Dart and Maru Blue Voice Canada poll. It shows the Conservatives at 39%, and that's an increase of 2%, but the increase is mostly in places like Alberta, where they are already expected to sweep. The Liberals are behind in that poll, but holding steady, and that's at 32%. However, there is one nugget in that piece of research which should be very troubling for the Liberals, and that shows that the number of people thinking they deserve to be re-elected is surprisingly low, 26%. So, to parse all of that, let's go to John Wright, who is a partner with Dart C-Suite Communicators. Hi, John. Hi, Libby. Okay, so uh, a couple of things. First of all, did it surprise you that the ethics commissioner's report did not seem to move the needle? Um, actually, no, because we've been tracking this for a while, and I think uh, your interview actually was very good because what you did was you were able to get to Andrew Shear and in many ways expose what he's trying to do. And, and let me parse that out. Number one, um, the Liberals in all of the polls have not moved around really at all. Um, they're all sitting at around anywhere between, you know, 31 and 35 percent, which, you know, given a margin of error is pretty steady. Number two is that you want, if you are the governing party, to have some momentum at the moment, and it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there. And so while you can debate, you know, whether the top line vote is moving around and the conservatives are getting a few more points here or there in the country, there is an underlying set of questions that we always ask, and, and it's endemic to the polling groups. And that is, does the government deserve to be reelected, uh, or is it time for a change? You, you primarily don't vote a government in, you vote a government out. And this becomes a critical thing about any campaign. You want to get Mr. and Mrs. Glutz to get up off the couch to make their way to a voting booth and put their X on something so that they determine it um, and are able to, you know, vote for a party. The problem with the liberals right now is that while some people are going to say, yes, I would vote for them tomorrow, the underlying dynamics here are actually saying that about 10% less 
would actually go out and put their X where they're supposed to do it. So Andrew Scheer, we're not into the campaign yet. We call this the phony war. Probably we'll be into the campaign about the second week of September, where everybody kind of locks in and you start seeing a whole lot more advertising and a whole lot more commitment. What the conservative leader is saying today about this piece is, look, I want to just keep it talked about so the liberals don't get to have any more talking points about other things because they're going to get asked about this. And, and quote, I don't really care about polls and other things because, you know, the true path through to the election will start in another few weeks. But underlying this, the biggest problem is the liberals are going to have to get those people who, even though they might say they could vote for the liberals, actually to go out and do it. And that is their problem because roughly only 25 to 30 percent, somewhere in that range, are actually saying they'd go and vote for them. And that's not enough to even get a minority. So that's the biggest fight. Each one of these parties is fighting over about 10 to 12 percent of the population to go out and vote for them. And that's where the, in fact, the conservatives do have an edge because more people want to throw the government out than want to keep this one in. Yeah, but it's uh, it, it it's a matter of how they view uh, the alternative, I guess. Uh, John, I I just want to get back to this notion. I mean, Andrew Shear kept saying it's not about partisan politics, uh, but your research seems to show that basically nobody cares about this anymore. Pretty much. And, and of course, it is all about partisan politics. And of course, he's going to say that he doesn't care about polls. And the only poll that's necessary is the day of the election. I mean, everybody has heard this stuff ad nauseum for, you know, 50 years when when politicians say this stuff. You know what? It matters a lot. They, but here's the It would be refreshing if they came out and said, yeah, there's an election. Yeah, it would be. Uh, but they don't want to say that it's, you know, to try and get them you know, they don't want to have a methodological discussion. They want to, you know, keep focused on their message track. So, again, let's go back to what the parties are trying to do right now. They don't really care about the national numbers. They don't care what's going on in Alberta or Saskatchewan because they've already got that nailed down or they don't have a chance. Roughly across this country, you get 40% of the public voting in a way that supports, you know, the the person who's going to win. You get another 40% who votes against the people who are going to uh, win. And you get about another 20% who are voting for middle parties. And all you need is about 37 or 38% to earn a majority if you, if you do it in that way. So they're fighting over about 10 to 12% of the population. And what they are polling about is they've identified a number of ridings across this country. They are into those regions while ignoring a whole bunch of others and trying to figure out what's having traction and what is it. And they're just eating up space right now so they can get into the election campaign, which for the Liberals, they're going to have to make Andrew Scheer look really, really nasty in order to get their people to bite their tongue and come out. So we are seeing them on the top line kind of saying, well, the polls don't really matter, when in fact, deep down in their campaign, they're in there polling every week on a selected group of of writing. And they are looking. You're absolutely right. They're looking at this. But I don't think we're engaged yet in the campaign. And we're likely to start doing that in the next two weeks. Uh, but OK. Uh, but do you think that they will move off this uh, as, a, as a strategy? Well, they're going to have to because the polls, whether you look at 
you know, Leger or Ipsos or I, it, it, it basically said, as you said off the top, all the same stuff, and that the Liberals' numbers have not moved. I mean, they might go up a little bit in Quebec or down a little bit somewhere else, but they haven't moved, which means that Canadians have heard since December the 19th all about this stuff, and it's kind of like, you know, meh. I mean, like, you can't get worse or better on this. So we're starting to see emerge now a different tact. When Andrew Shear was in Toronto, um, you know, in the last 24 hours, he was talking about affordability. He was putting out a plank that I think, you know, resonates with the people who are maybe in that middle bracket. And so I suspect that during this, you're actually going to have, um, you know, over the next number of weeks, more of that. Secondly, people don't know who Andrew Shear is, but they also didn't know what, you know, Justin Trudeau was until the last three weeks of the campaign. So they're going to have to put a, a piece of campaigning out there that defines who their guy is. And what's going to come out there is he's more trustworthy than the other guy. He sticks to your issues, again, that 12 to 15% that really matter. And if you go you know, against him, you're going to be voting for the other guy who has done all of this nasty stuff with the ethics commissioner and all those things. So it's not going to be necessarily about the specific issue. It's going to be about the culture and the decision-making and the attributes around each leader. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, we're not selling the need at the moment, or sorry, we're not going to be selling the need for a razor um, in the next two weeks. We're going to be say, you know, selling the idea that you have to look good in public, so probably buying a razor is a good idea to make sure you're all trimmed up. That's the difference between now and then. Uh- you know, there are a lot of uh, strategists who believe that in order to win, the conservatives, the conservatives need a strong NDP. But uh, you're showing them at 15%. Uh, do, you, do you interpret that as a collapse? Yeah, well, they, if you look at when Jack Layton had them, you know, rolling through with Orange Crush in the province of Quebec, you know, they were up about 27 28%. The block was basically taken out. And they were a real force. I mean, they're not really going to change in downtown Toronto. Um, you know, that, that's a wasteland for the Conservatives. Um, you're going to have, you know, the NDP do well in British Columbia, as well as the Greens. But, but you know, they need traction in other parts of the country. And what's happened is that culturally and otherwise, the Quebec population has abandoned the NDP and dropped them, so they're not going to win those seats. They've moved over to the bloc, which they don't see necessarily as separatists, but an alternative for a Quebec first policy. And in other parts of the country, they're just not connecting with Mr. Singh. So the question is, where do those people regionally go? And right now, some of them are moving over to the Green Party. So we've got Elizabeth May tracking at about 7%. We asked the question a little bit different from others. I don't think she's at 14%, which you'd feel the ground shake a little bit. But I think reasonably 7% across the country, you look inside that box, you've got some NDP people who have basically moved over and filled up that gap. And I think that's where they're going. They're not, they're not hanging out for the NDP right now. Let's hear from Stephen in Parkdale. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Libby. Uh, there's a couple of questions I have. I'm wondering how much Andrew Shear shot himself in the foot this weekend by still boycotting uh, a gay pride uh, uh, march. Uh, you know, so the liberals have 
trouble with their ethics. The, the Tories have trouble with their tolerances. Uh, how, how much does that impact on the people? Also, one, one question that Ms. Raybould was never asked is why did she hang on to her membership in the party until they fired her rather than her quitting the party? I never understood that. And So uh, has it changed anything for you, Stephen? No, love still means uh, being willing to say you're sorry. Okay. No. Thanks. Justin Trudeau is not willing to say he's sorry. John Wright, it, it, he uh, brought up the uh, gay pride parade. Uh, is is that a factor for Andrew Scheer? I think it is in Ontario especially. And I think, again, it goes back, Libby, to the fact of, you know, what percentage of the public is going to find a differential that is uh, important to distinguish people on? I mean, are you being fair and reasonable to all people in our society, or are you basically conser- you know, catering to conservative interests, uh, social conservatives? So where does this matter? It probably matters uh, really a lot in Alberta and Saskatchewan, where core conservatives would not like Mr. Scheer to cross over. I've always said. Um, look, they're not going to go anywhere else, so you might as well amble up to a bar like Mr. Trudeau did, shake some hands, get in a few pictures and say parades don't matter, but connecting with people of all all um, uh, parts of your life do, and get it over with. On the other hand, you look over at, uh, you know, the 905 region in this uh, country, where they're going to get into a political knife fight. That's what's going to happen in that donut area around the CN Tower, where most of the votes are needed. And that's a pretty dynamic area that has, uh, you know, a population not full of social conservatives, but basically pragmatic voters who can go either way. I think it matters there. I think it matters that, you know, in downtown Toronto, people would expect Andrew Scheer to show up for pride parades and raise a flag like Jim Watson did in Ottawa on the weekend. But it doesn't matter to Mr. Shear because he doesn't have any prospect of getting votes there. Where he does is in places like the 905. And I would think he should do something at least to get on the radar for that 10 or 12 percent of people that he needs and and show that he connects. Otherwise, it's going to dog him. Okay, uh, let's hear from Anthony in Niagara. Hi, Anthony. Hi, how are you? Fine. Good, good. Well, I'm all confused, I'll be honest with you. There's so much garbage going on, like in this country here, where I really don't know where to go anymore. I mean, if you know we have a prime minister that has lied to us, has done everything possible just to get votes, I mean, we should all know that he's not the guy for us. So here I go to the Conservative Party where I donate every month $100, right, for my visa. Now, people are saying, well, he's not strong enough. He's not this. He's not that. Uh, I don't know. Then I go to this uh, place out here in Niagara Falls one day, which was yesterday, and we start talking politics, and everybody's saying, guess what? Maxine Bernier seems to be the one. And you know something? I think so, too, now. I mean, he might be a little bit too to the extreme, but at least he says the truth. Like, he said some things about those new people coming into this country, and I don't think that was really right. But then I have two people across the street from me, and uh, they're gay, right? I think that's the right way to say it. To be honest, I, I don't know. Every day there's a new word for these people. And they're saying They're to me, gay. They've been gay for a long time. Okay. So gay's okay to say them. So they're saying to me, and they're really nice guys, right? They're really nice people. They, you know, plant their 
vegetables. My mom's talking to them all the time and everything else. They said to me this, how can I vote for the liberals when the majority of these new people say to us that we have to be exterminated? What? Anthony, I'm I'm not sure where you're going with that. Uh, Like you're going off on a bit of a tangent there. Um, Wow. Um, John Wright, so you're saying that uh, the the gays are a factor, but not one that Andrew Scheer has to worry about. Well, let's again parse this out a bit. Uh, having a tolerant leader is important to certain areas of the country more than it is to others when it comes to groups. And so, as I said, I mean, Andrew Scheer is connecting with certain groups that he needs to have vote not necessarily on the gay issue or not, but, but basically on the tolerance issue. Number two, let's look at uh, Mr. Bernier. If Mr. Bernier was anybody else in this country, uh, let's say the, uh, the Communist Party, um, and they were getting 1% of the vote or less, which Mr. Bernier is currently getting according to all of the polls, would we be having a discussion about him or his party or his views at all? And the answer is, Absolutely not. So the fact that we continue to talk about Mr. Bernier as some kind of force in this election campaign is is ill-founded um, and irrelevant. So I would step a point back here and saying, look, um, there's a bit of a red herring in all of this, and that is that Mr. Bernier has actually got any momentum in any representation anywhere in this country. He's got around one to less than one percent. It's a fringe movement. Uh, and it doesn't even bear having him on any debate panel or anything. So I think as a candidate, uh, whether it be, you know, the liberals or the conservatives, the liberals can talk about intolerance, which is a code for those type of people and Mr. Scheer, whereas Mr. Scheer can basically talk about inclusiveness um, and, and, and say, look, that's what we have to do. But he also has to demonstrate it to a degree so that you can buy into it. As I said from the outset, they're fighting over about, you know, 12% of the total population to switch their views or to come on board or to get out and do something. And for that 12% tolerance, inclusivity, and representation actually matters a lot. And in that way, it makes up part of the amalgam of what their vote's all about. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, John Wright, anything else you'd like to leave us with? Just one thing, Libby. And and again, I go back to your interview, which was really spot on. Oh, thank you. Um, No, I was. I I think you want to return to that about the second week in September when everybody else in this country starts to tune in, which they haven't to date, and the campaign is actually ramping up to go full force. And we look at what they're actually selling at that time. And we all must remember, at that point in time, Justin Trudeau in the last campaign, 2015, was a mere speck on whether or not people thought he was the right leader or had the right stuff over Stephen Harper to run this country. But in the final two and a half weeks of that campaign, he managed to be able to say, I've got it. I've got six million young millennials who are with me. And you can trust me to bring you hope, whereas the other guy is just going to give you whatever you've got. If you can find that nugget and follow it through to the end of the campaign and translate it into regions and different types of people, then that's going to be a pathway to who's going to win or not, either a minority or a majority. So let's revisit this in the middle of September to see if we can see any change in how they're doing this. 
and then follow that little nugget until the end of the campaign. Okay. Thank you so much, John Wright. Appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Anytime, Lynn. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.